Y'all probably learned by now that C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite writers. I really love Lewis. I love, gosh, I guess I've read most of his books, and I can't think of any off the top of my head that I hate. Um, some of them are better than others, uh, but, but I really thoroughly enjoy C.S. Lewis's works. I enjoy the way he thinks. I enjoy his analytical approach to faith, his uh, intellect. He has so many so many great quotes that I've always loved. I just, lo- I just love, I love Lewis. I've I, I shared with you before that one of the first books I ever read after I became a Christian was his book, Mere Christianity. It really probably did more to influence my view of what faith should look like really than, than any book I, I've ever read. I, ju- I just love him. He, I love his intellect. But I also love his approachability. So he wrote great theological, philosophical books like Mere Christianity, but he also wrote Chronicles of Narnia for children. You know, he, he tried to, to, to preach the gospel in so many ways. Um, and so I just love, I love him. But if, one of the neat things about Lewis is to look at his life story. C.S. Lewis might be the most widely read Christian uh, author of the last hundred years. They say during World War II, the, the book Mere Christianity, the, that book was actually a development of talks that he gave on the BBC during World War II. They were actually lectures that he read over the airwaves during World War II, and he later compiled to a book. And they say during World War II, the two most famous voices you heard on the BBC were Winston Churchill and C.S. Lewis. Um, so he may, have, he may be one of the most influential Christians of the last hundred years. But here's what's interesting. For a large portion of his life, for all of his early adulthood, um, he was an atheist. C.S. Lewis, for most of his life, not most of his life, but a large portion of his life, was an atheist. Did not believe in God. And I'll tell you why. When he was a young boy, I think he was roughly seven, seven or eight, when he was a young child, his mother uh, developed cancer. And he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for God to heal his mother. Prayed hard. Prayed long. Prayed as fervently as an eight-year-old boy can pray. He prayed for the healing of his mother. You know what happened? She died. And Lewis says, what kind of cruel, vindictive God would hear the prayers of an eight-year-old child and ignore them? He says, I do not believe in a God. And if that is the God that's out there, I certainly most will not worship him. So the vast majority of C.S. Lewis's life, I'm sorry, the vast majority of his young adulthood, he was not a believer in God. Now, as you read his story, I would not suggest reading a book called The Pilgrim's Regress because it's basically like getting a two-by-four and beating yourself up about the head about it for hours. I mean, it's just a painful experience. But in this book, The Pilgrim's Regress, he chronicles how he came to faith. And basically, he tried every other system of thought in the world, every other political philosophy, and found them lacking till eventually he came to realize that there was a God. And while he did not fully understand this God, he knew that there was a God. So he, he, later, he later came to faith. And it's a beautiful story of how God healed his anger in his heart. But the, the thing that, that I've seen about in, in that in C.S. Lewis is 
in my life, and so when you look at Lewis, he wasn't really an atheist. He was just really mad at God. And in my life, I've met a couple of intellectual atheists. I mean, people that literally just don't believe in God. What I have met a lot of in my life are people that are just really angry at God. People that are really angry at God. Yeah, I understand. I had a professor of mine in seminary, Dr. Minor. Dr. Minor taught New Testament there at seminary. And, and I didn't always agree with Dr. Minor on what she believed. I didn't, I didn't, she and I were not always on the same page on theology or the Bible or any of those type of things. But I'll tell you what I love about Dr. Minor so much. Dr. Minor always says you can't ignore the Bible. You can't just pretend like something is not there. It's there. What do we do with it? Now, she and I often disagreed on what we did with it, but, but I always like the notion you can't ignore it. So as I think about, as I think about illness and sickness, and I think about faith, I, I, then, I then come to the passage we read this morning from James, and, and as Aaron and I, I don't know if y'all know this, Aaron and I preach from the same text every Sunday. Uh, all three services here at St. Matthew's have the same text preached from. What we do is we sit down once a month, and we say, okay, Here's the, up, here's the upcoming text from the lectionary, what speaks to us. And we prayerfully consider where to go, and we write sermons based off these shared texts. And, and our first impulse when we read this text was to ignore it. The prayer of the righteous, this is where the old King James comes out of me, the prayer of the righteous availeth much. If any of you sick, pray, and God will heal them. And my first thought when I heard that passage is, I don't know. Because I know a lot of sick folk that we all prayed for, they still died. Am I not righteous? Do I not have enough faith? Is my faith insufficient? So when I hear a passage like this, my first reaction is to say, well, I don't know if we touch that one. I don't know if I'm touch that one. But I think back to what Dr. Miner says. We can't ignore passages that we don't understand. We can't ignore difficult passages. We can't ignore passages that are problematic in our mindset because they are actually in Scripture. And so what do we do with a passage that says, if you have faith and you pray, God will heal the sick. First, I do believe that, actually. I do believe that there are times when God intervenes in what we call miracles. We all know them. We know individuals that went for a scan and there was cancer and came back six weeks later and the cancer was gone. I know children and throughout my ministry that have had cancer and the Lord heals them. But I also know young people struck down in the prime of life. I know individuals that have gotten sick and have had great faith and prayed. And um, healing on this earth did not come. So what then? What then do we do with a passage like this? 
Well, there's a couple things I want to start off with, a couple of first big picture things. First is this, and hear me on this, y'all. We cannot, we must not put evil on God. God is not evil. God is not cruel. God is not vindictive. God is not out to get you. If you don't remember a single thing I ever tell you in my ministry to you here at St. Matthew's, I want you to remember this one fact. God is not out to get you. God is on your side. God is on your team. And God loves you. Well, God is a vengeful, wrathful God towards sin. That's right. So let's go back and look in the Old Testament in Isaiah 53, where it says in Isaiah 53 that Jesus Christ, or he, was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our sins, and the punishment that brought us peace was placed upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Upon him was placed the iniquity of us all. So in other words, God took all of our human sin, all of our human brokenness, all of our human wickedness, all of our stuff that we've done wrong, that we've ever done wrong, that we're going to do wrong. God took all that, all that stuff, and placed it upon Jesus. And Jesus Christ suffered and died for our sin. Jesus Christ atoned for our sin. Jesus Christ did what we could not do. Jesus Christ satisfied the wrath of God. And if there's one more thing that you have to do to appease God, that's saying Jesus didn't do enough. That's saying Jesus' work was not quite enough. And that's not the case, y'all. Jesus Christ paid it all. He paid it all. God's wrath has been satisfied. Hear me, church. God is not out to get you. God's not a scorekeeper in heaven keeping score of our mistakes and our victories saying, ah, oh, 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 here comes a lightning bolt for old Andy. That's Greek mythology. That's not the sovereign God of heaven. God is not out to get you. We cannot, we must not place evil at the feet of God. That's not God. Secondly, though, there's a mystery. You know, I like like science. I like for things to make sense. I like for A plus B equal to C. Like, that makes sense to me. I I like when life is rational. And so I think think sometimes that's why we almost in our mind, we, we, we... feel like it makes sense for God to punish us for dumb things we've done because at least that makes sense. I'll, I take a fork, I stick it in the light socket, I get shocked. A plus B equals C. Well, there's a mystery to God that I'm not going to tell you I understand. I might be a lot of things, y'all, but I don't know everything. And sometimes when I look at the Bible, Sometimes I look, when I look at God's mysteries, you know what my response is? I don't know. I'll never lie to you. I'll never tell you that I know the answer when I don't. Sometimes the answer is, y'all, I don't know. But I know this. 
I know that God is good. I know that his mercy endures forever. I know that he loves us. I know that he desires us. I know that he saves us. I know that he sustains us. I know that he will never walk away from us. I know that God is good. I know that. So, within human sickness and tragedy and illness, what do we do? Let's look at life of prayer. Let's look, let's look at Jesus' life of prayer. And something you've got to understand. Say something that might kind of shock you at first. Think about it. Jesus did not get all of his prayer concerns answered like he wanted them. Think about the garden. What did he pray? Take this cup from me. The the humanity of Jesus cried to God, take this cup from me. I don't want this. But then what did he pray? Not my will, but thine. Jesus Christ looked into suffering and said, even Jesus looked into suffering and said, oh, Father, help me. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. This is too much. So in your life, when you feel like your struggles are too much, in your life, when you feel like your illness is too much, in your life, when you feel like life is too heavy, remember that at that moment in the garden, Jesus Christ said, Father, take this cup from me. Take this, God. I can't do it. I don't want it. I can't. But then he said this, not my will, but yours. And that's the other thing about Jesus. Y'all, this is all the stuff about God that I love. This is what I love the most. God saw the problem of suffering, of human pain, of loss, of illness, of sickness, of all these things. God saw this, and how did God choose to address the problem of human sin and human suffering and human illness and human sickness? God chose to address these issues, not by running away from them, not by turning a blind eye to them, not by magically snapping his fingers and making it better, but he chose to fix human sin, sickness, and illness by entering into it, by sending his son. You've been betrayed in life? So has Jesus. You've been left alone at your greatest moment of struggle. So has Jesus. You've been weary and heavy laden, suffering under struggles. So has Jesus. He did not turn away from our sin and sickness and illness, but he entered into them. So that in that, he may redeem them. Well, how does he redeem illness and sickness? And I'm not going to tell you I have all the answers, y'all. But I'll tell you what little I do know. He redeems them in a couple ways. First, he redeems them in that these moments draw us closer to him. It says, my, says earlier in James, I believe it is, when you, when you suffer, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. Because suffering will do one of two things to us. It'll either draw us closer to God or push us away from God. That's what suffering does. It draws us closer or it pushes us away. He redeems them in that 
And part of what he does is he can use these things to draw us to himself. See, to me, this is the power of God. The power of God is not that God stops bad things from happening. Now, there are times, y'all, there are times, this, this is the mystery that I don't understand. There are times that God does stop bad stuff from happening. But not all the time. Why? I don't know. But this is the power of God. It's not that he stops bad stuff from happening. It's that he can bring good out of everything. And that's the story of my life. Could God have stopped my biological father from murdering my mother? Yeah. He could have stopped it if he chose to. But he didn't. So she was tragically murdered when I was two years old with me in her arms. I was then adopted and raised by her mother and stepfather who loved me and my home church loved me and my home school loved me and they poured their life into me and they raised me and guided me and directed me and here I stand and I know this for a fact. I know this for a fact. I would not be standing here before you as your pastor if I had not been raised by my grandparents and raised in my home church and raised in my school and had God direct my steps. I know that I would not be here in front of you right now as your pastor apart from that. So is my being here a good thing? Well, it depends on who you ask. That was a joke. That was funny. You can laugh. Had to lighten the mood a little bit there. Is my being here this morning a good thing? Yeah, I think so. Was my murders, my mom's murder a good thing? Oh, heavens no. And that's the mystery of God. How he takes the tragedy of our life, the sickness and the illness, the pain and the loss, and somehow weaves something beautiful out of it. See, James says he will heal. And sometimes the healing is in this life. Sometimes it is. But the healing always is in the next life. I had a, when I was in Philadelphia, I had a young man, 42 years old, contract a rare form of leukemia. He, he was an accountant and worked a weird hours, worked for some company that had him working late at night. And he just thought he was tired. Young man, played baseball at Mississippi College, great athlete. And uh, just thought he was sick. So I went to the doctor. And it turns out he had a rare form of leukemia. Like there were four of them in the world or something stupid like that. And so for three straight years. That son of a gun fought leukemia like I've never seen anybody fight it. He fought that thing with every fiber of his being. And eventually he passed away from it. But when I preached his funeral, you know what I said? I said he beat leukemia. He beat cancer. You know why? Cancer may have taken his body, but it did not take him. It did not break him. And while he suffered physically, his soul was at peace the entire time because God was in his midst. And so while his body was healed ultimately in eternity, his heart was healed here. 
One of those verses I cling to, y'all, is Romans 8, 28. All things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The prayer of the righteous availeth much. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. The prayer of the righteous brings healing. The prayer of the righteous brings hope. The prayer of the righteous brings peace. The prayer of the righteous brings life. Do I understand all the workings of God? I do not, and I'm not going to tell you that I do. But I know this, y'all. I know this. I know this with every fiber of my being. I know that God is good. I know that he is love. I know that he is mercy. And I know that when we cry, he wipes the tears from our eyes. I know that when we're alone, he comforts us. And I know that he will never, ever ever leave his church or leave his people he loves you he's not out to get you and he will bind himself to you so in the darkness in the fear in the doubt no he's not out to get you and no he's at work And know he's going to paint a picture more beautiful than our minds can fathom. And know that he is going to bring healing to our hearts. And one day when the Lord returns and there are no more tears, pain, death. Y'all, there's going to come a time when there's no more cancer. Thank you, Jesus. I can't wait for that day. One day he's going to heal the nations. I can't wait for it. But until that day, we hold on, knowing that he hears our prayers, he holds tight to us, and that he will never leave nor forsake us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for loving us, and we thank you for saving us. Father God, in the midst of the darkness sometimes, help us to hold on. Help us to hold tight. God, help us to have faith. We love you. We thank you. We ask it in Jesus' sweet in holy name. Amen.